0: Praise the Lord. Well, the first Sunday of this year I talked to you about fasting as a as a key to consecration before the Lord. And we talked about alignment. We talked about the importance of getting the spirit, the soul and the body in alignment and how fasting helps us with that. It helps us move to forward with that. And then last Sunday Pastor Reagan uh, preached to you on fasting and he entitled his message, The Struggle is Real. And how many of you know that's true? There is a struggle. But he also, in that message, talked to you about hunger and weight loss and weakness. And he talked about both the physical side of that, but also the spiritual side of that. And how that hunger, while for the flesh may feel negative, for the spirit it's positive. Because if we hunger and thirst after righteousness, God has promised that we will be filled. So a wonderful uh, message last Sunday. This morning, I want to continue in that flow and move forward. And I want to talk to you about fasting as it helps us to see clearly. It helps our vision. It helps us to be able to focus. It helps us to get a God's eye view instead of a man's eye view. And uh, I I was just glancing through the Scriptures. You know, there are over 80 Scriptures in the Bible that talk to us about fasting. And it's pretty evenly balanced between the Old Testament and the New Testament. So that tells me that, that fasting was under the Old Covenant. It's also under the New Covenant. So fasting is not something that was done away with when the New Testament was written or the New Covenant was given. In fact, Jesus said, when you pray, say... And he gave us the Lord's Prayer. But he also said, when you fast, and gave us instruction in fasting. So it was just assumed, not only by Jesus, but throughout the early church, that, that part of the Christian discipline was fasting. I read some interesting articles this past week, uh, medically speaking. There's scientific proof now that fasting can help you physically. In fact, one researcher who's perhaps done more than any, he's followed 30,000 people over a long period of time, and he discovered that a total fast with nothing but water in as much as three days, preferably up to a week, has had positive effect in curing over 31 different kinds of diseases. Now, please don't misunderstand me this way. I'm not here to give you medical advice. I'm not a physician. And I'm not trying to tell you, if you, you know, if you're under the care of a physician, I, I will just tell you this, that it, there is scientific proof that fasting has physical benefits. So what I would say to you, if you're, if you're struggling with a physical ailment in your body, um, talk to your doctor and under his supervision, ask if perhaps fasting might help you with your physical condition. One of the things that was noted in these studies is that fasting often gives the body the opportunity to reset the immune system, also to reset the hormone system, and and, and it's just amazing. Uh, so of those things. But again, don't 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 uh, don't die because you didn't eat right and and sue the church and the pastor because you came to church on Sunday morning and he told you that fasting would cure you instead it killed you. I don't want that to, to have. I'm not giving you medical advice but, I, but there are benefits of fasting and check, check with your doctor and talk to him about it. It, it might be something that, that you would want to incorporate in your quest for, uh, for physical health. Um, but spiritually is what we're after because uh, we're, we're here about the church and the word of God. I I just was flipping through the Bible this week, just looking at those different accounts of fasting in the Bible, and and it's so interesting. I I went back to Genesis chapter 20, and the children of Israel fasted for direction uh, from the Lord before they went into battle, and God gave them clear direction which ultimately brought them victory. I flipped over to 1 Samuel chapter 7, and I noticed that the Philistines had set themselves against Israel and were about to attack them. But the children of Israel declared a fast, and they fasted before the Lord to see what God would do. And, and instead of just giving direction, God actually gave them a supernatural, miraculous victory using the elements what God did, he sent a thunderstorm that was so severe, so magnificent in nature that the Philistines turned and ran because they knew that this was something that had come from God for the children of Israel and against them. And again, God gave the victory. In 2 Chronicles chapter 20, you may be familiar with this. i preached about this incident many times. Jehoshaphat and, and, and God's people were surrounded by things three armies. This was a a method of warfare in that day. If you could get a large enough army or you could confederate with more than one army and you could surround your enemy, you could starve them out. And eventually they either had to come out and fight, which they'd be weakened and an easy prey for you to take, or they would starve to death and you'd just walk in and take over. And three nations had confederated together against Jehoshaphat and the children of Israel. And Jehoshaphat did this. I prayed this prayer too. Jehoshaphat went before God and he said, Lord, we don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. Well, that's a good position to be in, isn't it? We don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. And they declared a fast. And as they were fasting and praying, God came to Jehoshaphat. And he said, here's what I want you to do. It'll sound crazy in the natural but try me and obey me and see what I do. He said, put the singers and the musicians in front of the army and just march right out there, right out to the enemy, just like you were going to fight them. And, of course, that would look like suicide to anybody looking at it in the natural because they were surrounded no matter where they went out. If north, south, east, or west, there were armies waiting on them to devour them when they came out. But they went out singing and praising and worshiping the Lord, and God sent those angels he was talking about a while ago and defeated all three of those nations' armies And gave Israel such a victory it took them days just to pick up the spoils that they got from that army. And God killed well over 100,000 people for them. And how many of you are glad we serve a great, big, wonderful God who is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we even think or ask for? Amen? I flipped over to Ezra and saw that they fasted and God gave them a victory in rebuilding the temple of the Lord. I flipped over to Nehemiah and saw that he fasted and and he was building the walls and everybody laughed at him and said it was impossible and yet in 52 days they accomplished something that was impossible in the natural, supernatural visitation of God. I flipped over to Esther chapter 4 and verse 16 and Esther asked them to pray and fast with her for three days And all of the people of Israel fasted for three days, and God gave Esther favor. Anybody in here need favor? Need favor on your job? Need favor in your family? Need favor? That's what she fasted for, and God gave her favor to go into the king. And, and plead for her people. I flipped over to Daniel and discovered in chapter 9 and verse 3 that he fasted, and that's where we get this 21-day length. Daniel fasted for 21 days. He wanted revelation. He'd been reading the book of Jeremiah, and he didn't understand it. He didn't understand the timeline, and so he fasted, and God gave him an answer. And hence we have the prophetic chapters from the book of Daniel. I went to Joel chapter 1 in verse 14, and Joel said, Declare a fast before the Lord, and, and call a solemn assembly. Gather together and pray and seek the Lord. And they did, and God said, Afterward I will pour out my Spirit upon all flesh. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. On oh, my handmaidens, my servants, I'll pour out in that day of my Spirit, and they shall prophesy. That's a good way to have revival, amen? Fasting and praying can bring revival. It can bring a mighty move of God. I flipped over to Jonah chapter 3 and verse 5. You're talking about a revival. Jonah had just prophesied to Nineveh that God was going to destroy it in about 40 days. But they declared a fast and went before the Lord, and instead of having destruction and judgment at the end of that period of time, God sent revival, and 120,000 people got saved. How many like to see 120,000 people in Augusta, Georgia get saved? Amen. (laughs) Let's go after God. God is able. I'm not going to go through the New Testament. There's just as many incidents in the New Testament, but I just want to mention one. And he's our example in all things. Jesus Christ himself fasted for 40 days. And afterward, he began his ministry, chose his disciples, and began to preach the gospel that changed the world, the power and the anointing of the Holy Spirit. When you drive yourself into the heart of God, God will come near to you and do great and mighty things. Amen? Amen. Praise the Lord. Well, I want to read from Ezra chapter 10, and I'm just going to touch on this one. I mentioned several different um, incidents in the Old Testament where God did mighty things as a result of prayer and fasting. But, but I, want to, I want to just give you this little incident. You can follow me on the screens here. Now, when Ezra had prayed, and when he had confessed, weeping and casting himself down before the house of God, there assembled in him out of Israel a very great congregation of men and women and children. For the people wept very sore. And Shechaniah, the son of Jehiel, one of the sons of Elam, answered and said unto Ezra, We have trespassed against our God, and we have taken strange wives of the people of the land. Yet now there is hope in Israel concerning this thing. Now therefore let us make a covenant with our God, Put away all the wives and such as are born of them according to the counsel of my Lord and of those that tremble at the commandment of our God, and let it be done according to the law. Now, I could take a long, long time to um, give you the historical background of these verses that I just read to you, but I'm going to try to condense it down to just a few sentences and tell you that when you open the book of Ezra and begin to read, you, you see that God is beginning to give favor to his people after they had been in Babylonian captivity for a number of years. In fact, God actually moved on the heart of Nebuchadnezzar to allow the children of Israel to return to their homeland. Now, their homeland was in ruins. But he left let the first group go, nearly 50,000 people, In fact, there were 49,897 people that went back to Jerusalem to begin to rebuild the house of God. Along with those 49,897 people, they sent 8,136 bearers of burdens. These were animals, they were workhorses. Now, what that would be like today would be machinery and equipment to help you clean off the debris, out the debris. and and to begin to rebuild. In other words, think of it as sending tractors and caterpillars and and cranes. And these were the work animals that were sent. Not only that, they received an offering before they left with this uh, first expedition back to Jerusalem. And it was an offering especially for the building fund. In fact, if you will give me an offering equivalent to that this morning, I'll stop and receive an offering for the building fund. That offering was $325,596.80. That's a pretty good offering. If, if there's anybody here who feels like we can get that much, I'll stop. But uh, no, seriously, we're not going to take another offering. But what I'm going to tell you is that was a supernatural offering. God blessed the people supernaturally to give. I, I believe that there are times that God just pours out a blessing to his people and gives them an ability to give. We've seen that in times past in the history of this church when, when God would just supernaturally give what was needed to bring to the house. That's what happened there. And, and so they began to build. And the house of God, the work was going great. The, t- the work was, was uh, in full swing and the enemy got mad because the devil always opposes the work of the Lord. He always opposes the church when it's trying to move forward. He always opposes the building of the kingdom of God. So that's what he did here. And he started with a spirit of discouragement. He started discouraging everybody. They even they even hired gossipers to gossip and and counsel against them to try to discourage them. Man, you think, you think you've had people talking about you. I, I doubt anybody's had any, anybody go hire somebody to talk about you. <laughs> they, were, they hired people to talk about them. And, and Everybody around was making fun of them. Everybody around was telling them, you'll never get this job done. However, in spite of all they did, uh, in fact, you'll see it in, in uh, chapter 4, verses 4 and 5 of Ezra. The, the people of the land weakened the hands of the people of Judah and troubled them in their building. They hired counselors against them to frustrate their purpose. But in spite of all of that, on March the 6th, uh, in the 6th year, and uh, I'm sorry, March the 3rd, in the 6th year of King Darius' reign, the house of God was finished. God can complete his work in spite of the opposition of the enemy. Amen? And he did. Now, here's, here's where we get to the, to the verses that I read from chapter 10. Children of Israel are worshiping and praising God. Their temple is built. They're so excited. Nehemiah has built the walls in a, in a record break, with record-breaking speed in 52 days. And now they're beginning to enjoy a season of prosperity and blessings. But something happened, similar to what's happened to our nation in a time of prosperity and blessings. They forgot God. And they basically just backslid as a nation. And and they started committing some of the same sins that caused that Babylonian captivity back there a generation ago. And when Ezra, the man of God, heard what was going on, he was distraught. In fact, he fell down in front of the house of God and he's weeping uncontrollably. He can't can't believe it. What's the matter with these people that would dare to backslide on God and sin and do some of the same things that caused judgment a generation ago? And he's... He's more than despondent. He's distraught. He doesn't know what to do. And up walks a young man. How many of you are grateful for young people in the kingdom of God? Amen. Amen. That's That's why I love Brother Tommy sharing with us a while ago. He's one of the young people here. We got young folks in our church that go after God. Boy, I'm telling you, they love God with all their heart. And you get an excited, enthusiastic Young person, passionate about Jesus. You better get out of the way, buddy. Here they're coming. Amen. And, and this, this is the Shechaniah guy. That's what he was. He was a young man in Israel. And he comes up while Ezra is laying there on the ground, distraught, weeping uncontrollably, and taps him on the shoulder. And he says, Brother Ezra, I know what we need to do. And Ezra says, What's that? And he said, I know we've sinned. But we just need to repent and get right with god and he said we need to turn from our wicked way and straighten out the mess that we've caused here and then he said we need to go forward there's no use you laying there crying and wallowing in the shame of what's happened he said i love this line and that's why i read it to you this morning there is hope <laughs> oh glory I, I don't know about you, but I just, I just about wearied out with 2015 with doom, despair, and misery. I heard it all the time. Uh, you know, if 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 the feast wasn't going to get you, the moon was going to get you. I mean, it was one doom, despair, and misery out of the other. I mean, everything we heard was prophecies of this thing going down, going under. The stock market was supposed to crash. The the the, the enemy was supposed to invade. I mean, we we weren't even supposed to be here this morning. Amen. Yeah. <laughs> But for the mercy of God we wouldn't be. Yes. But I want to tell you this morning that Second Chronicles seven fourteen is still in the book. If my people, which are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I'll hear from heaven, will forgive their sins and heal their land. That's still in the Bible, amen. Yes. And yes, glory. And there's some folks seeking God. And I know that there's a a pending judgment out there ahead. I know that. But I also know that there's some prayer warriors rising up in this nation like we've never seen. Brother Franklin Graham's on a move right now. He's going from state to state and on every state capital until he has covered every state in the union, all 50 of them. He's having prayer meetings on the state capitals. And he's withdrawn himself from any political party. He said, this is not a political thing. This is a God thing. We're going to seek God and repent before God and pray for God's mercy on our nation. And he's already been to a couple already. And thousands are gathering on state capitol steps. And they're crying out to God. And there's prayer movement going. I just, I'm I'm here to tell you this morning, in spite of everything we've heard, in spite of everything we've seen, in spite of everything that's going on, there's still hope as long as God's alive. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. There's hope. Make sure your neighbor's awake. I want you to turn and tell him, there is hope. Turn to the person on the other side. Make sure they get it too. There is hope. There's hope this morning in Jesus. There is hope this morning in Jesus. I know that it's, that it's easy to succumb to discouragement. I know it's easy to succumb if you've been defeated in a battle or so. But let me tell you, losing a battle is not losing the war. David went through some of this. In Psalms chapter 42 and verse 5, he cried out and he said, Why art thou cast down, O my soul, and why art thou disquieted within me? Later in the chapter, he repeats it, he says it again: Man, this guy is down. He said, why are you cast down O oh my soul? He, he's talking to his own soul. In other words, his mind, his will, and his emotions. I can't even control them right now. My mind, my will, and my emotions are so heavy. They're so down. I, I, I can hardly breathe. But, <laughs> but then he said, hope thou in God. Hope thou in God. Hope thou in God. You know, there's still a verse in Isaiah 59:19 that says, when the enemy comes in like a flood, the Spirit of the Lord will lift up a standard against him. God will take care of us if we'll look to him. Amen? Now, I want to give you three little points, and then I'll close this message. Going back to Shechaniah, basically this is what he said, and this is exactly what we should do today. Number one, we need to get back to God it's just that simple we need to get back to god i don't know what's going on in your life i don't know what you may be encountering right now i don't know what you may be dealing with but whatever it is do not allow it to drive you away from god run to god not away from god run to god not away from god One of the big lies that the devil tells people when he gets them discouraged or if they're defeated or if they've made a mistake or if they have fallen or if they have sinned, one of the things the devil will come immediately to do is tell you, boy, God's mad at you now. You've done it now. You're ruined now. You, you 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 just you know, God's God's just been waiting to get you and, and and he's gonna come at you. If you get close to God right now, his wrath is gonna fall on you. Can I tell you this morning, that's a lie straight out of the pit of hell. If you'll, li- listen, if you'll draw nigh to God, let me tell you what you'll find. Jesus gave us a sample of that through a parable that he gave us in Luke chapter 15, the prodigal son. The father represents God, our heavenly father. And this is what you'll find when you run to God. You'll find a father with outstretched arms. In fact, when he sees you coming towards him, he'll run towards you and he'll grab you in his embrace and he'll pull you close to him and he'll re- forgive you and, and he'll restore you and he'll bring you to a new place and fellowship and he'll, he'll replace all of the terrible things that sin has done with his love and his mercy in your life. Don't run from God, run to God. Secondly, repent, repent. That's what the prodigal son did when he, when he came home. He repented, Father, I have sinned. Just go ahead and own up to your sins. He confessed. And, and then the Bible tells us we ought to cast off the works of darkness. Repenting, but one of them, there's several definitions of, of repent, but one of them is, is an about face. Turn away. Don't keep going in the direction you've been going. If, if it's away from God, that will lead you to destruction. And, and so change the way you do. Bring it to God. Glory to God. They threw a woman down in front of Jesus, and Jesus said, neither do I condemn you, but go and sin no more. In other words, don't keep walking and wallowing in your sin. Amen? Repent. Come to God. And then thirdly and lastly, go forward with God. It's time to move forward with God. Sometimes we get discouraged. In fact, if you'll read Psalms chapter 73, you will discover a time that David, he, David almost backslid in Psalms chapter 73. And let me tell you his reasoning. And some of you may have dealt with this very thing. David said, my feet were well nigh slipped. These are verses 2 and 3 of Psalm, of Psalm 73. He said, my feet were well nigh slipped when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. In other words, this is what happened to David. He got to looking around and he said, it seems like everybody's blessed but me. And, and, and to add insult to injury, it seems like the most sinful, ungodly people are just being blessed out the wazoo. He said, they, they, they just. He said I almost backslid over that. I almost lost it over that very thing. I, I just couldn't figure, why is it, Lord, that I see these people prospering and they're living like the devil, and I see other people trying to do what's right, and they're just barely getting by? He said, God, I don't understand that. And he said, I almost gave up because of that. Listen, that that you can look around and see that today. You, you see people who are millionaires and billionaires who, who are living in sin. And, and if you focus on that and, and start feeling sorry for yourself because you're not there, it, it's hard for you to come up out of that. But... Thank the Lord David didn't stop there. If you drop on down to verses 16 17, you'll find that David got an answer when he went to the house of the Lord. He said, "My feet were well-nigh slipped until I went to the house of the Lord." And when he went to the house of the Lord, he got he received this revelation. God showed him, "David, this is not the end. This is not the end." Amen. Amen? This is not the end. The folks in Vegas, this is not the end. They, they may be doing well this morning, but this is not the end. Sinners may be prospering now. That's really just the mercy of God giving them a chance to repent. If they don't get right with God, they better enjoy what they got because that's all the enjoyment they're ever going to get. Yeah. But if you'll stay true to God, let me tell you, 10 million years from now, you'll still be blessed. Amen. Glory to God. I remember years ago I saw a picture of a diamond that Richard Burton bought for Elizabeth Taylor. I think it was something like three and a half million dollars. Can you imagine having that much on your finger? My goodness. And somebody showed me that and said, boy, isn't this amazing? I said, We'll be playing marbles with stuff like that on the streets of gold. (laughs) Amen. (laughs) That doesn't impress me. That doesn't impress me. Listen, the largest pearl that's ever been found is in a a museum in Europe, and it's about the size of a pear. God's got some pearls big enough he's going to carve gates out of, 12 of them. For the sake. Listen, what's in this world is just a a little sampling of what God has reserved for His family. Glory to God. We're going to enjoy His presence. (laughs) Don't get focused on this world. This is not the end. This is not the end. There's something better than that. Thank the Lord that helped old David to pull out of it and get itself straightened out. Listen, fasting and prayer will help you get a better vision, and you'll always discover when you fast and pray that there's hope, always. Will you stand with me, please? Did you know that Walt Disney was fired when he was a young man, fired from a job because they said he couldn't draw very good? (laughs) That's a true story. Did you know he went bankrupt five times? If he had let any one of those failures keep him down, there'd be no Disney World or Disneyland or Disney Empire. You know why he succeeded? Because he got up one more time than he fell. That's the difference between success and failure. Success is not that you never fail. Success is that you get up one more time than you've fallen down. There's a couple things I want to ask you to do in conclusion of this message this morning. The first thing I want to ask you to do is recapture the promises of God. Recapture the promises of God. This week, I, I, I went into went into one of the drawers in my in my cabinet in my office and pulled out an old notebook that that I filled up a long time ago. Went all the way back into the 70s when I started keeping down a list of the prayers that God's answered and the things that God has spoken. And I've just been saturating myself in those this week and reading them to God, saying, God, I want to thank you again. 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 And reading those promises of God. Listen, God's promises are steadfast and true. They're not going to fail. Amen. I've just been reading those and praising the Lord for those. Second thing I want to ask you to do is to recapture your vision and your dreams. What did God put in your heart that, that you've let kind of get stale and you've let the circumstances of your life kind of press them down until you've forgotten about them. I want to tell you this morning, fasting and prayer will will revive those dreams and revive those visions and I remind you again. <laughs> yesterday morning, yesterday morning I was early preparing for a funeral. I had a funeral yesterday and You, you, you know how sometimes a, a thought will just bombard your mind i've been fighting that th- thought thing all week long and and yesterday morning i just i just heard this little voice and i recognized where it was from and said <laughs> see I, before i tell you what he said let me i have always considered myself to be a preacher of hope you've heard of faith preachers any of you heard of faith preachers i love faith preachers got nothing against them but i'm a hope preacher because I found out a long time ago, if you don't have hope, you're not going to exercise any faith. Look at Hebrews 11:1 1 and 2. It says, now faith is the substance of things what? Hoped for. The evidence of things not so. You can't exercise faith if you don't have hope. So I, uh, I've spent my whole ministry just trying to revive hope in the lives of people. I heard this voice yesterday say, <laughs> what are you going to say about hope now? And I said, Mr. Devil, could I invite you to New Hope in the morning? <laughs> Amen. Because I'm, I'm going to preach on hope. He said, You going to preach on hope now in your situation? I said, Absolutely. Because God hadn't changed, He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Amen. You better believe it. You better believe it. I'm going to preach it stronger than ever. I'm going to praise the Lord more than ever. I'm going to give him thanks more than ever. Like I said, I've been fighting this thought battle. Yesterday afternoon, I was sitting here working in in the office, and and I I, I realized my ears were just burning like fire. And... um, you know, the old saying, if your ears are burning, somebody's talking about you. And, and that's, that same thought thing ran through my mind. I had this thought. I said, the enemy said, uh, boy, the gossipers are talking about you now. I said, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. And that same voice said, what? Wh- you praising the Lord that the gossipers are talking about you? I said, yes. Praise God. Somebody's getting arrested. Somebody else is getting a rest. They probably need it. Thank the Lord. We're supposed to praise God in everything. We're supposed to give thanks in everything. They were playing some of the classic, they call them classics, Billy Graham classics, some of the old crusades. And, and, and I, I heard him last night, late in fact. I, I, went, I went to sleep while the crusade was on and i happened to wake up just as he was closing and and he gave this illustration i loved it he told about the rose bowl several years ago when ucla was playing and just before the half one of the ucla players intercepted a pass and in the ruckus of getting all spun around he lost his direction and he took that ball and started running just as hard as he could to the wrong goal line he was running towards the opponent's goal line. And one of his team members stayed after him and caught him just before he scored a touchdown for the opposite team and tackled him. And the guy said, what are you doing? He said, you're you're about to go over the wrong goal line. Halftime came. And when they went into the locker room, all the team was together except this guy and he was way over by himself sitting with his face down in his hands and he put a towel over his head and he was weeping. Big old football player just crying like a baby. At the end of halftime the coach announced the lineup for the second half and he announced the same lineup that he announced for the first half which meant this guy's name is there and so the team went running off to the field but ralph just kept standing there the coach looked at him and said come on and ralph said i can't coach i've embarrassed you i've embarrassed our team the stands are making fun and laughing and jeering i can't i I can't i can't humiliate our school by going back there and the coach said ralph That's just the first half. You get back on the field. There's a second half of this game. Aren't you glad this morning that we serve a God who takes us in our moments of weakness and takes us in our times of failure and takes us from our discouragement and our despair. And he said, get back in the game. Get back in the game. It's not over yet. Get back in the game. And I want the prayer team to come quickly. I just have a feeling this morning, there's some of you under the sound of my voice that God's calling to get back in the game. Some of you, maybe last year, you had some terrible disappointments. You may have even had some failures in your life. Uh, You may may be down and discouraged today because maybe you've lost your job and you don't know how you're going to make ends meet. Things are not going so well for you today. And you've allowed the devil to push you back and push you down and discourage you. But I want to tell you this morning, there's hope. And I want to tell you this morning that God is calling you to get back in the game. Amen. Get back to the Lord. We, we've, got, we've got plenty of game ahead. There are victories ahead for you. And, and we, we haven't reached the goal line yet. Maybe you lost a battle, but we're going to win this war. Amen. The storm may be raging, but Jesus is on the boat, and we're going to make it to the other side. Amen. Give him praise today. He's worthy. <laughs> Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Bow your heads with me, if you will, please. I want to speak especially to those of you that's never given your heart to Jesus. You'll never have a greater opportunity, never have a greater moment than right now to come and make a decision for the Lord. Come and ask Jesus to come into your heart. He'll wash your sins away, write your name on the Lamb's Book of Life, give you the assurance of an eternal future. Those of you that are away from God, You once knew God. You've allowed the things that you've gone through in those circumstances to sever your relationship with God or to to push you further away from God. I want to tell you this morning, the Father standing with open arms waiting for you to come home. He will welcome you if you'll come. Come on to him this morning. Make today that day. There are others of you that may need prayer for other things. We have people here that would be glad to pray with you or for you. If you're sick in body, we'll anoint you and pray for you and believe God for your healing. If you're going through a struggle financially, we'll pray about that. If you've got a family situation, whatever it may be that you need. I, I, and I believe there's probably many of you this morning that perhaps would like to just come towards the altar. Just find a place by yourself. You don't necessarily need anybody to pray for you, but you just want to come this morning and say, Lord, I I, I want to to rekindle. I want to rekindle. I want to recapture those promises that you've made. I want to recapture my visions and dreams. I want to to reconnect in my worship and praise to you today. I just, just want to give you thanks in the midst of what going on in my life right now. Some are already coming. Come on. Wherever you are, all the way from the front to the back, all the way from the balcony, wherever you are, if you feel a desire to pray, respond to that. Come on. That's the Holy Spirit inviting you to come. Come on forward. Let's pray. God bless you.